More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly, super pumped that you're listening to the podcast today. And as always, I have to thank Everybody who's reached out to me over the last week since the last episode aired, I've gotten some really great messages on Facebook, some great emails, and uh, some Twitter messages as well. People are reaching out, and it's so awesome to know that something in my story has had an effect on someone else, and there are ways that people can relate. Well, this week on the podcast, I want to talk about something that is the experience of every single survivor of sexual abuse if you've decided to share your story. Now, I made the decision to start sharing my story not too long into my healing process. And looking back, uh, there are some things that I would do differently, and I'm probably going to dedicate an entire episode to the decision to share your story and to speak out, um, if that's a decision that you're thinking about making. But on today's podcast, I want to do something that I think is going to be beneficial for people who are survivors of sexual abuse, and it's also going to help people who just want to be good at supporting survivors of sexual abuse. So you may have noticed the title of today's episode, Stop Telling People to Move On, What King Kong Taught Me About Supporting Survivors of Sexual Abuse. So yeah, you probably don't think of King Kong as a particularly wise, sage creature (laughs) that offers great advice, but bear with me, and I'm going to get into how he's actually helped me quite a bit in that whole storyline in learning how to be super supportive to survivors of sexual abuse. So I'm going to kick off this episode by sharing a story that's really embarrassing for me to share. I still get kind of red-faced thinking back on it, and I do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. I am going to be talking about miscarriage and infant loss for a couple of minutes, so I just want you to know that that's coming, and that is a part of the story that I'm about to share with you. And this is back when I was about 22. I had just graduated from college and just started my first job. And I was with the wife of a coworker. We were at an Arby's together getting dinner. And she had just found out that she was probably miscarrying. And so obviously, she was pretty distraught. She was trying to have, you know, a positive, upbeat attitude. And I'm sitting there, 22 years old. I have no idea what to say. Um, and I can't relate at all because none of my siblings had had any children yet. I hadn't really been close to anyone who had been pregnant. And the only stories I knew of miscarriage were heard like from a distance. So I didn't have any sort of knowledge on this subject whatsoever, which should have told me I probably shouldn't open my mouth about it. But the story is all about how I did, in fact, open my mouth about something that I didn't know anything about. And I feel like I probably made an already bad situation not any better. We'll put it that way. 
So we're in Arby's and my friend is upset and she's tearing up a little bit, you know, trying to be positive. And one of the least proud responding to heartache moments of my entire life happened right then. I don't remember my exact words. I do remember I was like holding a curly fry, probably dipped in Arby's sauce, and I wanted to find like something to say to make her feel better, to to just stop the pain. And I don't think I consciously thought that. It was just like, that's where my brain went right away. You are here to make things right. So not sure what I said to her word for word, but I know it started something like, well, it's good you found out early. And I really wish that anyone in that restaurant had like jammed that beef and cheddar melt down my throat to get me to shut up. Because not only did I say that, which is super just mm, insensitive. And for me, it was just incomplete ignorance that I would say something like that. Um, But I decided that it would be a pretty great idea for me to keep sharing super just great advice about a topic that I didn't know anything about. So my friend sits there in gracious silence, you know, her eyes are pooling with tears. Hopefully she had tuned me out at this point. Like that's all I can hope in private. I went on to explain to her how my own mother had miscarried just a couple of months before she became pregnant with me. So that story to me was like epic, happy ending. Like if my mom hadn't gone through that miscarriage, I wouldn't even be alive. Trouble is, um, that's not going to be super comforting to someone who is sitting there in pain, just finding out some of the most devastating news that a person can find out. And yeah, my ears still light on fire when I think about how ignorant and insensitive I was in that moment. Now, I will say I have to extend a little bit of grace to younger me. I wasn't trying to be insensitive. I did not have any idea what I was saying. I meant well, I wanted to be helpful, but in my urgency to kind of find a perfect silver lining for this situation she was in, which was really heartbreaking for her, I was basically saying, okay, skip over this grieving process thing and just think about the silver lining, like look at my life in this prime example. And it just was inappropriate advice because I was ignorant to the situation that she was actually in. And um, she was very gracious to me, thank goodness. Uh, But I know now, especially having some dear friends and very close family members who have gone through miscarriages and infant loss, and it is devastating. And I, you know, as an older person and just someone who has more experience with it now, I see the error of my ways and I wish I could go back in time and just erase all that and just sit in empathy and be there for my friend. But I didn't know. So instead I played like motivational speaker slash therapist over greasy fast food. And the reason that I'm sharing that super embarrassing story with you is that some of what I'm about to share about supporting survivors of trauma and what not to say to them, you might be listening and you might hear yourself in some of it. So I just want you to know, I'm not here like coming from a place or a posture of like shaming people for saying the wrong thing. We've all been there. I've totally been there as I just shared. Um, So if you say, oh goodness, I've said that to somebody and thought it was great advice and now Kelly's saying it's not. um, It's again, not to shame anybody or to make you feel terrible, but just to let you know some of the reasons behind why certain things that you might think are great advice to a person who's gone through trauma might actually be more harmful to them than good. So having said that, 
I'm with you. I've been there and I know what it's like to stick my foot in my mouth and be completely insensitive, not meaning to be, but it's happened to all of us. So we've all heard these sparkling gems of advice and they're usually posted on Facebook in like perfect meme form. Like there is some gorgeous sunset in the background and this beautiful script font is telling you things like move on, let go, just leave the past in the past, just be positive. You just need to choose to not let this affect you. Or my personal favorite, you're only a victim if you choose to be. So um, I've heard a lot of these gems of wisdom and read them off of Facebook, as I mentioned, and I've heard some of them from well-meaning people in response to my own story and the stories of other people who speak out about their experience with childhood sexual abuse. So I came up with a list of some kind of what not to do's, and I don't want you to feel like I'm only going to give you a list of things to not do, because I know it's important to also have a list of things to actually do or to actually say, but I want to start with the thou shalt nots of supporting survivors of sexual abuse. So number one, and I think this is super important, toss out your preconceived notions about why people share stories of past trauma. So I decided to come forward with my story And it wasn't long after I started healing from sexual abuse. And I think one of the reasons that I started and led with number one, toss out your preconceived notions about why people share stories of past trauma is because I got a lot of pushback from people who were making assumptions about why I was sharing my story. And I remember in one particular instance, which was super, super, I want to say damaging. It really was. It was damaging to my emotions. And it definitely gave me pause about wanting to continue to share my story. But I called a couple that I was friends with for some advice on how to come forward about what had happened to me as a child. And I was super concerned because the man who had abused me was a deacon of a church and he was doing a lot of kids events and was surrounded by children all the time. And I started realizing, oh my goodness, like it's very unlikely he ever stopped abusing children. And once I knew that fact, I knew that I had to come forward because I didn't want anybody else to go through the experience that I went through as a child. So I'm not going to get into the exact reason that I reached out to these people, but I will say that logistically, I thought they could be of help to me in contacting this church where my abuser was a deacon. So I reached out to them and to be fair, They were super surprised at what I was saying to them because it just caught them off guard. It did. And I remember um, my friend said he was listening, you know, to the story and and he said, well, Kelly, you know, um, I think, you know, part of you, you want to keep girls from getting hurt and that's good. But I think there's another part of you where you're like able in the Old Testament. Your blood is crying out because of this thing that was done to you. And I kind of shut down at that point a little bit because the message that I was getting from him was the reason that you want to come forward with your story is because something has been done to you that was wrong and now you want recompense. You want some sort of revenge. You want to see justice done. And I was so uh, just shamed by that. And bless his heart, I'm sure he had no intention of sounding that way to me. 
But even, you know, if it was said in ignorance, to me, that's one of the most damaging things that I can remember that anybody said to me as I started uh, to try and heal from sexual abuse and as I started to try and share my story and what had happened to me. Um, So I was shamed. And I remember hanging up the phone and they were some of the first people that I told. And so when I hung up the phone, I just had this feeling like, it's not safe to share my story. It's not safe to tell people because they make assumptions about why it is that I'm sharing. So that's why I say, number one, toss out your preconceived notions about why people share stories of past trauma. So for the guy I was talking to on the phone, he was thinking, well, she's coming forward because uh, she is realizing, hey, something horrible happened to me and this guy needs to pay for it. Um, I had other people who anytime I would post something about sexual abuse and I had started a blog about it and I was like saying a lot of things on social media about abuse and sharing a lot of facts. And anytime that I would share something, I had this family member who would respond by posting some kind of a Facebook meme. And we've all seen them, you know, those glorious, glossy memes. And they say wonderful, awesome things like leave the past in the past or whatever. Um, but she would basically share one of those in response anytime I posted something about sexual abuse, essentially telling me, here's why you need to stop thinking about the past and just forge ahead into the future. And that was super hurtful as well. So when I say, number one, toss out your preconceived notions about why people share stories of past trauma, I think it's super important. When somebody decides that they want to share something really personal with you, it's, it's actually a privilege that they don't give to just anybody. And for whatever reason, your friend or your loved one or your family member has chosen to share this really significant personal part of their life with you. And in your discomfort, and it is uncomfortable sometimes, like we can own that and we can be honest about it. There's no reason, like you're not a bad person if you feel uncomfortable when somebody shares something that you don't quite know how to respond to. That's okay. Uh, But you have to keep in mind that your level of discomfort when someone shares with you about their abuse is always about you. It's not about the person that's telling the story. So that story you invent in your mind about why this person might be sharing, it's not actually about them. It's usually about you and how you're feeling about hearing the story. So maybe you're thinking, oh, you know, this person is sharing because they need someone to solve a problem for them. Or maybe you think, oh, this person, they just need attention. So they're sharing this story because they're in need of attention. Um, Or maybe you think they're not capable of navigating their own healing process. So they need you to help them do it. Most likely, though, people are sharing their stories because to do so, to speak out, to speak your truth is really pivotal to the healing process. So before you think someone is like being negative by sharing a story, um, that's not really the reason behind it. It is simply that somebody has decided they want to share their truth with you. And that's actually an honor. It's a privilege. It's not a cry for the help of cliches or self-help quotes or, you know, Tony Robbins tapes that oversimplify the meaning of suffering. It's just that they've chosen to share with you. So maybe just sit with that honor and try not to decide why it is that someone has shared. And that leads me to number two, resist the urge to demand silence. So this requires a little bit of a gut check. Um, When we say things like, you just need to move on, or you just really need to let go, or leave the past in the past, do we actually mean 
please stop talking about this. Because uh, I feel like a lot of times we do. Uh, maybe we're troubled because we don't have like the exact answer to explain the horrors of trauma. And that's hard for a lot of people. We cannot stand things that we don't have answers to. It bothers us so much. And maybe we're fearful that this is a reality that we never want to have to experience. And when you hear somebody talking about it, it kind of brings into your mind that this could happen to someone you know, or to someone you love, or even to you yourself. Maybe, as in my experience, we're trying to desperately keep our own trauma buried deep down inside. And I will say that I've actually experienced some hurt from people who have survived sexual abuse who just cannot bear to think about it or deal with their own story, and they'd rather keep it buried deep down inside. And I get it because I've been there, but again, Our level of discomfort when somebody shares a story of trauma is always about us. It doesn't mean they're wrong for sharing. It just kind of shows what's going on inside of us. But whatever our specific subconscious reason for using these healing cliches, they're basically conversation enders. Because when you tell a victim of trauma who has just shared their story with you that they need to move on, In order to heal, you just need to move on and leave the past in the past. The message is pretty loud and clear. Um, You need to stop talking about this because it's making me uncomfortable. So number two, resist the urge to demand silence. It might not seem to you that that's what you're asking, but a lot of those messages, that's essentially what they're saying. Okay, I'm going to need you to let go of this now because it's making me uncomfortable to hear it. Now, I do want to say it's okay to admit that you're not equipped to hang out in the cesspool of sexual trauma. It's It sucks. You know, it just does. It's mucky and uncomfortable and dark a lot of the time. So if you're not one who can just sit with that and you feel super uncomfortable, it's okay. But what isn't okay, and I guess what I want to convey here is using those squeamish feelings that you have about sexual abuse and about people sharing stories as gospel proof that victims should be keeping their brokenness quiet because that's not what it means. Speaking the truth is not ever wrong just because it causes the hearer of that truth discomfort. So if you want to be supportive, and I feel like most people want to be super supportive of people who've gone through trauma, it's important that you don't use those uncomfortable feelings you have as a tool for measuring the rightness or wrongness of another person's choice to speak up. Something that's good to remember, it is healthy for survivors of trauma to share about their past. It is seriously one of the biggest, biggest things in the healing process that is really helpful to people. And the truth is that most survivors are silent about their stories for the majority of their lives. I spent 29 years not talking about what happened to me. So once a person like dips their toe or takes a nosedive into that river of emotional healing, you share your story and you name your experience out loud. And that's a big part of the healing process. So silence does not equal wholeness. And I think that that's something that's important to remember that people think, okay, once somebody is no longer talking about sexual abuse, that must mean they're completely healed. But it's actually, uh, I would find the opposite to be true. Most victims don't speak openly about their sexual abuse until they begin to experience profound healing from it. So the more healing I've experienced, the more I've shared my story and the more I've talked about it because speaking out 
often comes from a place of emotional healing and personal empowerment. So a good question to ask yourself before you offer any advice that might be silencing to a sexual abuse survivor is when I say blank, like when I say you just need to leave the past in the past, am I being empathetic or am I trying to change the subject? So two, resist the urge to demand silence. And number three is pretty simple. Close your mouth and open your ears. It's what I wish I had done when I was sitting at Arby's. I wish I had just said, I am so sorry, and then taken a bite out of my sandwich, bit my tongue, done whatever I could to not offer advice that was not going to be helpful at all. So being a good listener often comes down to resisting the urge to problem solve. And that's really difficult because we love to solve a problem. And it's really simple in theory, but one of the most difficult things to do is to just sit with a person in their hurt and offer nothing more than your presence and your empathy. It's hard to do, but it's so important. And unless a person has specifically asked you for advice or input, offering solutions can be, like I like to compare it to the verbal equivalent of putting duct tape over someone's mouth. You start problem solving, and it again sends that message to somebody like, okay, I need to stop sharing now. So I do want to say like it's completely natural that you want to alleviate suffering. That's a normal thing and it's a good thing. Like you don't want to see somebody that you care about suffering. When we see someone in pain or in brokenness, that desire to fix can be really strong. I think of like Chip Gaines, like on HGTV. Uh, We're like HGTV stars in the before phase. We are dying to dig beneath the rubble of brokenness and find that sparkling shiplap that we just know is under there somewhere but you're not chip gains. It's not demo day when someone's sharing their story of sexual abuse. So put the sledgehammer down and just listen. All right. So I'm not a fan of cliches, as I mentioned, but cheesy TV analogies. I'm totally fine with those. For some reason, not offering advice seems to take a lot more work than offering it. But most people who trust you with their stories of harm are not telling you because they need advice. They're not hoping that you'll comfort them with platitudes. They just want to speak their truth and be heard in order to process their story a lot of the time, or even to offer hope to someone else who may be struggling in the same way that they are. I know that when I share my story a lot of times, it's like I have this deep desire like, hey, I'm in the struggle. If you are too, there's hope. And that's a big deal for me. But whatever the reason, this person has chosen to share their truth with you. So that's an honor that most survivors just don't toss around to the whole world, except for like if you write a public blog or start a podcast or something like that. But uh, just a good thing to remember. And it's super easy to do. I mean, it's easy in theory. Close your mouth and open your ears. So number four is never shame a person for speaking up. Now, most of us don't shame people overtly. Um, We usually dish out judgment camouflaged as something super helpful, like a motivational quote. And I've mentioned a couple of them to you, but one of my personal favorites, and by favorites, I mean I want to kill it with fire, is you're only a victim if you choose to be a victim. And I just want to say to people like that, okay, so... If someone stabs me, I am the victim of a stabbing. I mean, that's just like reality. If someone sexually abuses you, you have been a victim of sexual abuse. You did not choose that for yourself. And it's pretty shaming to tell someone that uh, you're only a victim if you choose to be one. It's completely 
ridiculous. Quotes like that help like people like Tony Robbins sell books and like $5,000 seminar tickets, but they can also shame survivors for being vulnerable with people about their struggle. And shame is already one of the most damaging aspects of sexual abuse. And it's one of the most difficult for survivors to work through. I mean, shame is deep in all of us, even if you haven't gone through sexual abuse. But to the child sexual abuse victim, shame says it's your fault you were abused. And then to the adult sexual abuse survivor, shame says it's your fault you aren't healed. And that's particularly cruel because unlike in childhood where the shaming comes from inside and we're saying, I did this, I did this, as an adult, When people are shaming you for sharing your story or speaking up or not being healed enough, it's basically like you're saying, well, it's your fault you're not healed. Because if you would just choose not to be a victim, you'd be healed. If you would just let go, you'd be healed. If you just move on, you'd be healed. You're letting your past define you. And that is so shaming to victims of sexual abuse, to survivors of sexual abuse. Just as a survivor starts to experience victory, over that personal shame that stems from the abuse itself, then they get the fun added bonus of dealing with the shame from people who believe that survivors can simply just choose exactly how trauma affects them or just choose for it to stop affecting them at any point. Or the worst thing, in my opinion, is people who believe that to speak out about sexual abuse is somehow to play the victim. So rather than entertain the possibility that a human being may have experienced a trauma so profound that it can continue to affect them decades later, we tend to judge and shame them. Why? I think it's because judging and shaming are the perfect antidotes to fear. The horror of trauma disrupts our cozy view of life. It reminds us that despite our most determined mind over matter approach to living, traumatic events can happen to anyone including us. And trauma is frightening because it's not possible to control it or force it into a box on our neatly organized shelf labeled, life makes perfect sense. So one way that we combat those feelings of powerlessness that stories of trauma can evoke in us is to judge victims. Because, I mean, think of it this way. If wholeness is just this determined decision away, then you never have to fear brokenness. If someone can just decide not to be a victim and then everything's fine, then you never have to worry about some horrifying trauma happening to you because you'll be able to overcome it no problem because you won't live in the past like survivor X, Y, or Z over there. So it's comforting to us to say these platitudes or say things like you're only a victim if you choose to be because it gives us a false sense of control over the unthinkable. You don't have control over it. And so you never want to shame a person for speaking up. That's number four. Okay, so I have a few more tips on how to support these survivors of sexual trauma that you know. But before we get to that, I want to take a quick break. And it's time for a segment of the show that I like to call Somebody Smarter Than Me. Well, Somebody Smarter Than Me wrote a book. Her name is Rachel Denhollander. And her book, What is a Girl Worth?, released this week, just a couple of days ago, and I'm super excited to get my hands on a copy of Rachel Den Hollander's book and read the entire thing. 
And I figure, hey, while I'm reading it, you can read it as well. And I'm going to give away a copy of that book on the podcast. So here's how you enter for a chance to win Rachel Den Hollander's book, What is a Girl Worth? And it's very simple. All you need to do is write a review of the Survivor Sanctuary podcast. That might sound super complicated. Well, you don't have to wax eloquent and poetic for sentence after sentence. Maybe just a sentence or two of what you think about the podcast. And you open up Apple Podcasts and find Survivor Sanctuary. And it says right there, write a review. Just click on that and maybe write a sentence or two about what you think about the podcast and you can rate it as well. And if you write a review, then you are going to be entered for a chance to win What is a Girl Worth? My Story of Breaking the Silence and Exposing the Truth about Larry Nassar and USA Gymnastics by the amazing Rachel Den Hollander. We've been looking forward to this book for a while. Rachel has such an amazing story. And she's such a strong person, and I'm super excited to read this book, and I know you're going to love it too, so maybe you're going to win it from Survivor Sanctuary. All you need to do is write a review of the podcast on iTunes and submit it. It's very, very simple. should just take a minute or two of your time. And I will be announcing the winner on next week's podcast, so you can be listening for your name then. All right, let's get back into our episode. So I've given you four tips so far that will make you a complete rock star at supporting the trauma survivors in your life. Number one, toss out your preconceived notions about why people share their stories of past trauma. Number two, resist the urge to demand silence. Number three, close your mouth and open your ears. And number four, never shame a person for speaking up. So we're going to get into our last two tips. And this one, number five, I love. Just ditch the cliches for good. Just ditch them. I get it. Inspirational quotes set to backgrounds of high definition sunsets feel like the answer to all of life's problems. They do, especially when you're in a really good mood and everything's going great. They seem amazing. And I'm going to admit that in some cases, cliches are very helpful. I don't want to completely bash them. We all use cliches and occasionally they're really helpful. Like if Chris Hemsworth filed a restraining order against me because I was trespassing on his property and trying to propose marriage to him. I would totally be grateful if you would use some cliches on me and tell me to move on and let go. Um, Maybe your husband is super depressed. He hasn't showered in weeks because he's dejected over the fact that he doesn't have the right hairline to pull off a man bun. You might want to tell him, just let it go, babe. Like, let it go. It might be a helpful piece of advice. But when it comes to something serious, like sexual abuse, trite phrases and cliches can end up doing more harm than good. And I'm not suggesting that move on or let go or leave the past in the past is inherently bad advice. It's just the wrong advice for a victim of trauma. So there's this exercise that just came to my mind a couple of years ago when I was thinking about the really stupid things we say to people who are hurting. And it really helps me whenever a person trusts me with their story, whatever trauma it might be, whatever pain they've gone through. If I'm tempted to regurgitate some cliche of healing to soothe their soul, this is what I do. I picture King Kong. Seriously, I conjure up King Kong and not the new one, Too fancy, 1976 King Kong, as he ferociously growls over a city skyline, and he's got this horrified, like, scantily clad Jessica Lange in his big, powerful, hairy grip. 
and I ask myself, would I say to Jessica Lang what I'm about to say to this person? Like, can I picture myself standing safely on the ground hundreds of feet below where Jessica is in the clutches of this monster? And would I shout through the megaphone such pearls of wisdom as, You really need to move on from this whole King Kong drama. You've just got to let it go, Jessica. If you don't leave King Kong in the past, he will destroy your present. You just have to choose not to allow King Kong to affect you. Just be positive. You're only a victim if you choose to be a victim. Yeah, no. And if I did say any of those things, when Jessica Lange got rescued eventually or she tamed King Kong, honestly, I've never watched the movie, so I don't know. But her first stop after she's safely on the ground is probably going to be to come and punch me directly in the throat because those helpful hints might sound wise and insightful being read off of a Facebook meme, but they're super insensitive and pretty obnoxious given the reality of the traumatic situation that she's going through. So the King Kong scenario is a helpful visualization because we tend to picture survivors of childhood trauma as tightly clinging to the pain of their past. So when you tell people to move on or to let go, it implies that they're holding tightly to this trauma. And if they would just, you know, let go, they'd be fine. Everything would be done and they wouldn't have to deal with it or think about it ever again. But just like in the King Kong Jessica Lang scenario, it is more often than not the past trauma that is refusing to let go of its victims. It is not something they're clinging to and holding on to. It is a trauma that has taken root deep in their minds, deep in their bodies, down to a cellular level, down to our DNA, as science is uncovering that trauma can do. It's the past that's not letting go of the victims. It's showing up uninvited to jerk them around at the most inconvenient times. So when you think this person needs to let go, remember, King Kong is holding on to Jessica Lang, not the other way around. It's not the survivor who's refusing to let go of their trauma. It's the trauma that's refusing to let go of them. And that's why I feel like King Kong is super helpful if you want to be really good at supporting survivors of sexual abuse. So the last tip that I'm gonna share on the show today is to resist the quick fix. We're not patient people. I don't think that that's any shock to anybody. We crave speed and convenience. We love microwaves and instant pots. If we have to wait more than like 1.2 seconds for a web page to load, we pretty much lose our junk. And we can blame technology for that or whatever it might be, but we have an infatuation with the instantaneous. And so that tempts us to take shortcuts in every aspect of our lives, including trauma recovery. We want to be able to do something really simple, like toss a cliche at somebody or quote them a scripture and have it all be better rather than take this person by the hand and walk with them on that long winding path toward wholeness. So last year I was in a car accident and I think this might give you a good visualization of what I'm talking about with resisting the quick fix. I had three broken ribs, a cracked sacrum, and a totally blown out knee. And not surprisingly, zero 
of the orthopedic surgeons that I saw while I was in the hospital and while I was recovering told me that the key to healing was to just walk like it doesn't hurt. That would be completely ridiculous, obviously, because even people who flunked out of third grade know that walking as though you're fine is not going to make you fine. And it's the same thing with moving on, letting go, leaving the past in the past. These are not prescriptions for healing. They're side effects of healing. I stopped limping after my car accident because I had healed. I didn't heal from my car accident because I stopped limping. That's not how it works. Moving on is not a prescription for healing. It's a side effect of healing. And I think that that's important to remember. Once somebody does the work of moving through their story and moving through all the layers of healing and really just allowing themselves to feel what they feel and not trying to press it down like we do so often, that's when real healing starts to take place. And once you experience this healing, then yes, some people find it much easier to leave the past in the past or to not let things bother them in the present, but that's not what makes them better. I get that broken things are bothersome, and I'm saying this because I am a stomach sleeper, and when I broke my ribs, I could not sleep comfortably in any position. I used to fantasize every night and every morning about a crane reaching into the window of my bedroom and just picking me up out of my bed and placing my feet on the ground so that I didn't have to do the hard work of trying to sit up or trying to lay down. It hurt that bad, like it was bad. And so I get it. I wanted to heal quickly. I wanted to feel better already. I wanted to be able to live life feeling good and like everything was fine. But if I had just tried to act like everything was fine and ignore the pain, pretend it didn't affect me and sleep however I wanted, I would have ended up setting myself back in the healing process because acting healed is not what heals us. Going through the process of healing is what heals us. So when we suggest that a person just move on, we're basically asking them to circumvent the healing process. But there is no shortcut to healing. There is not a perfect prayer to pray, a perfect thought to think, a perfect Tony Robbins mantra to chant. I'm picking on Tony a lot today, but I feel like I've heard a lot of these things from him. There are not any perfect little things to say that will catapult a victim to healing in the blink of an eye. And when we suggest that there is, we're not only minimizing the trauma that a person has gone through, we're also discouraging them from taking the path that will ultimately lead to their wholeness, that will ultimately lead to them being able to move on and being able to let go of the past. So I have one last great rule of thumb when you're trying to give advice to someone who has shared a story of trauma with you. Filter out any advice that starts with the word just. Just be positive. Just trust God. Just forget the past. This kind of advice indicates to people that there's some kind of quick, easy way to heal from trauma. And I've got a really big spoiler alert for you right now. There isn't. There's no shortcut. It's not quick. It's not easy. In order to heal, you just have to heal. It's a process and it's not a super quick one. So resist that quick fix 
let people feel the feelings, let people talk about the feelings, just be there for them. So quick recap of what we've talked about on today's podcast. Number one, toss out those preconceived notions about why people share stories of past trauma. Number two, resist the urge to demand silence. Number three, close your mouth and open your ears. Number four, never shame a person for speaking up. Number five, ditch the cliches for good, like for good, for good. And six, resist the quick fix. Now, as we talk about resisting the quick fix, and as I shared with you that I was in a car accident a year ago, it was actually a year and a half ago now, and I still have a massive hematoma. It just looks like a big bruise on the inside of my knee. So my knee was in between the door and the steering wheel because I was in a little Honda Fit. And when the side airbag deployed because my car was hit on all sides, there was a lot of spinning, a lot of crashing multiple times. And when that airbag on the left side of my leg deployed, it smashed my knee into the steering wheel between 150 and 200 miles an hour. And I had no idea that even hurt. Everything else hurt so bad. And when I got to the emergency room and they cut all my clothes off of me, they were like, oh, wow, your knee looks terrible. And I looked down and it was like a huge lump the size of a grapefruit on my knee. And I couldn't feel it. (laughs) Like I was just like, well, there's a little scratch that stings a little bit, but so weird. I have no pain there. Well, 18 months later, here I am with this giant bruise on my knee. I don't know if it's ever going to go away, but it's a reminder of what I went through. There's some scar tissue in there. It's lumpy. It's gross. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I need to get like laser therapy to get it taken out. I don't know what it needs. But the point is, it was a very traumatic injury and it left a scar It left scar tissue on the inside and this huge black bruise on the outside. It is evidence that I went through a very traumatic car accident. And 18 months later, it's still there. Does it hurt like crazy every day? No. Does it bother me sometimes? Yeah. And can I see it and be reminded of what happened? Every single day. No matter how much we wish that trauma didn't affect our loved ones or that it didn't affect ourselves, The reality is that it just does. It affects us. There are scars. There are bruises. There are ways that trauma shows up in our present, even if it's something that happened 30 years ago. That's just the way that it works. So the best thing that you can do when you're trying to support a survivor is not try to rush them through a healing process that is a perfect five-step program for being completely healed. It's messier than that. And the best thing that you can do is to just be there for people. You know, you don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Say thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that story with me. Thank you so much for trusting me with your story. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And I want you to know I'm here. I have no idea what to say to you. Totally acceptable. I have no clue what to say right now, but I want you to know I love you. What happened to you is important and I'm here for you. That's it. And then just be with that person and be able to be with them without offering them some advice that could end up being even more damaging to them. So that's all I've got for today. And I 
appreciate so much you listening. I want to remind you before I wrap things up that we've got that giveaway going on because Rachel Den Hollander's book, What is a Girl Worth? My Story of Breaking the Silence and Exposing the Truth about Larry Nasser and USA Gymnastics released this week and I am giving away a copy. All you need to do to be entered into the contest is leave an iTunes review of the Survivor Sanctuary podcast. A sentence or two or 20, whatever you want. There is no, I'm not asking you for anything specific. Just leave a review and I will enter your name into the contest. I will be doing a drawing one week from today and you will have a chance to win that brand new book from Rachel Den Hollander, which released a couple of days ago. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you found value in the podcast. I hope you heard something that might help you be able to be supportive of the survivors in your life or that might help you know what to tell somebody when they say, hey, I don't know what to say to you when you share your stories with me, so help. Um, Hopefully now you have something that might do that. I love you guys so much. I so appreciate everybody listening and being a part of this podcast. I love hearing from you. So definitely drop me a line, kelly at survivorsanctuary.com. And I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.